Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show 230. Nearly been going five years now. Uh, so we're talking driving engagement across a large multinational organization. So we're going to be talking about how EY, the most globally integrated of all the professional services organizations, is driving engagement. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm a social engagement consultant working with the Engage for Success movement uh, leading on digital. And the Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there's a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, and we're widely supported across the UK, involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the top of the page to join our newsletter list. We generally mail out uh, towards the end of the week or over the weekend. If you tweet, then please share your thoughts using our hashtag, which is E4S, and that's the number four, so hash E4S. And also come to LinkedIn and do a search for Engage for Success and you'll get through to our group there. All the social media links are at the top of the homepage of the website, which again is engageforsuccess.org. So my guest today is Daniel Murphy, who's Associate Director at EY. So thanks for joining me, Daniel. Thanks very much, Joe. Great to be here. Lovely. So start by telling us a bit about you and about EY. Sure. Um, so I'm based in London. I've been with EY for about 15 years now. Um, so I started off in the Australian practice in a variety of HR roles, um, including shared service centre, um, a few years HR business partnering, a couple of years in global mobility. Uh, and then I moved from Melbourne to London about seven years ago. And since then I have been in um, what we call the talent executive, which is essentially our sort of our global talent um, team or group of, of, of talent professionals, um, you know, responsible for uh, delivering um, and driving, you know, change across the organization. And I'll talk a little bit more um, later around what the talent executive is. But in terms of um, EY, so EY is a professional services organization. Um, we offer services to clients um, in four sort of key, um, key parts of the organization. One of those is, is assurance, which includes services. We have um, transaction advisory services. Um, we have tax and we have advisory, which is um, sort of our fastest growing service line at the moment. Um, and then of course we have core business services, which um, supports all of those client facing groups in um, helping them to deliver their client serving every day. So I'm in, in talent, which is part of core business services. So EY, um, we have about uh, over 250,000 employees um, at the moment and, and growing and counting um, across 150 countries. So, you know, certainly um, not just a large organization, but, you know, a lot of people spread over a lot of countries as well. And um, EY, I guess, you know, one of the, the most important things for us is that we are a purpose-driven organization. Our purpose is to build a better working world. Um, and really what that means is, you know, helping each individual at EY to understand how what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis um, is ultimately contributing to a better working world, not just at EY and for our clients, but also our communities more broadly um, that we operate in across the world. 
Um, now that might be different from sort of one person to another. So you know, if I'm an auditor, then you know, it's certainly about me being able to um, increase confidence in capital markets. Um, or certainly, if I'm in advisory and providing you know solutions um, to different clients. So that will you know, kind of connecting people to the purpose. That will be different depending on what people do. But it's really making sure that everyone understands that we are working toward a higher purpose and you know helping to. Um, helping them to identify, you know, how they're doing that. I really love that. We often talk within the movement about the four enablers and the, the first one being about having a strong strategic narrative and, and the key bit of that being about connecting people on a day-to-day -day basis with that. And often yeah. I talk to organisations and ask them if they have a strategic narrative, which of course they do, <laughs> whether it's been crafted or just happened. <laughs> it's sort of uh, yeah. often a question, but uh, often they say they haven't, or if they have, you know, that people can't actually see their role within that. So it's lovely to hear such a, a big organization, not only, you know, saying that they're purpose driven, but also that, that you've got it so clear that, um, it, you know, it, it's simple for people to, to understand, you know, whoever they are, wherever they are by the sound of it. How does how do you make that happen in real life? Yeah, I mean, look, our purpose is absolutely front and centre of um, of everything in terms of not just the way we communicate to our people, um, but also in terms of what we deliver as an organisation, you know, for our people as well. Um, for example, in, in our role in talent, um, we do make sure that we understand how our people sort of feel connected and motivated to the purpose and that's a question that we have in our annual engagement survey and that's something we introduced a few years ago when the purpose first came about and you know we've seen some really strong growth on on that you know the purpose is relatively new over the last few years and so of course these things you know to really meaningfully take hold it's not that you can just sort of start saying we have a purpose and really and um, people will understand that in terms of what that means for them for the next day but you know by integrating that into our survey it's not only helping us kind of track how we're progressing there and understanding maybe where we might need to um, do some more work, shall we say, um, but also for us to be able to you know, make that relationship to engagement and it, it is a strong engagement driver for us. So you know, what that ultimately means is that we can go out to the business and talk about the impact that when we get this right, the impact that that will have on our people is that it will make their experience better. So you know, it's not something that you know, we just think is the right thing to do, which, which we absolutely do, but you know, it is something that, that does mean something to people as well. So it really helps sort of give a little bit of data and science behind that to make sure that we can continue to make the case and, and really mobilize people around our purpose. Mm. So you describe EY as the most globally integrated of all the professional services organizations. What does that mean? Yeah, so um, EY has been on a, a journey, shall we say, um, to become more globally integrated. And it is, as we understand, um, certainly the trend of the world at large. And, you know, years ago, I mean, I think we're talking sort of six or seven years ago, if I remember correctly, you know, EY really made a concerted effort and certainly identified a competitive advantage around the value that we would be able to drive um, by being more globally integrated. And um, if you think about all of our sort of country sort of, you know, EY offices or, or EY practices, you know, are their own separate legal entity. But, you know, it's really important for us. We have one strategy. We have one purpose. We have one employee value proposition. 
you know, to be able to make sure that that EY brand and that EY experience is a consistent one. And, you know, that really works in a couple of ways. So not only does that mean that we're able to more readily serve our clients because we are much more interconnected and we're able to, um, you know, wherever our clients are in the world, be able to find people that will be able to provide them with the, the right service. Um, it also helps us understand, you know, the journey that our clients are on as well around globalization and being able to, you know, understand the challenges and opportunities and help them sort of navigate through their own journey. But I think most importantly for, for the, the top, topic of today, and I think relevant to my job, is really the way that we're internally structured around that, that global structure. And that includes um, a global sort of governance, management, and operational structure. Um, of course, all of our, you know, regions, um, you know, still have, well, well, I guess I'll put it a different way. And um, that doesn't mean that we do everything sort of once in the same way. It certainly does drive a lot of great opportunities and efficiencies for us to be able to um, enable things at a global level and really roll them out to, to all of our countries. And that helps us, you know, make sure that we are creating that consistent EY experience. Um, but we also have to acknowledge within that that, due to different sort of maturity levels within different markets, due to different sort of cultural requirements or any other sort of nuances or unique elements that, that certain countries or regions may have, you know, it's not necessarily just a one size fits all. And so as part of our strategy that was rolled out in 2013, which was called Vision 2020, core pillars of that is around strengthen global and empower local. And really what that means is, you know, we all want EY to be a really successful organization. Everyone benefits from that. But it's also about making sure we can appreciate and acknowledge that everyone's not the same, not just from an individual level, but even, for, you know, across our country's service line. So enabling our leaders and their teams across the organization to be able to also make the right decisions for them in any given moment as well, based on, you know, the, the needs that they may have um, relevant to their particular market. So... I work mm. in the talent executive, and so we have um, a large group of people across the organization who really do work, we work across our service lines and across our geographic areas to identify what the needs are, um, certainly from a talent point of view, I can speak to that, um, and then be able to identify you know, how we're going to best address that need and, and drive change across the organization. And you know, as far as possible, we try and do that once. Um, but of course, you know, allowing to accommodate any um, any local requirements, shall we say, um, where there is a need to well. Yeah. So how does that feed into how you measure and drive engagement? As you say, it's, it, you've got that sort of global uh, perspective, but also engagement is very individual. It's very cultural in, in lots of situations. So how how do you measure and drive that engagement across the whole organisation? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, as, uh, as part of our strategy, our employee value proposition is um, whenever you join, however long you stay, the exceptional EY experience lasts a lifetime. And, you know, that's really important for a range of reasons. Um, we have a huge number of people join us um, a year. For the last years, we've had 80,000 new joiners in some capacity walk through our doors. Um, and we've also had, you know, a large amount of people leave us over that time as well. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we, we acknowledge is sort of a, a trend within our industry, if you will. A lot of people will see EY as a great place to come as sort of the launch pad of their career. I'm going to join as a graduate. I'm going to do a few years. I'm going to get world-class training and development. And then I'm going to move off and sort of, you know, uh, find another position in, in another organization 
the industry and you know rather than I guess us saying well actually we want to try and retain everyone we can't so we just acknowledge that that is sort of part of our our business model and part of our value proposition ultimately but you know the whole point around whenever you join it however long you stay we still want that experience to be exceptional for you while you're here um, and obviously we are all working toward you know uh, achieving uh, that value proposition for everyone and so over the, the recent years, I've been in the global team, as I say, for about seven years and working on our global um, engagement survey since then. So I'll talk about it in the context of that. But um, we have been, as the organization has started to globalize, I guess in talent, we have also been on our, our own journey to make sure that we can you know, support those efforts. And um, when I first joined in 2012, that was the first survey that I worked on, um, you know, we had a global survey by then, but that wasn't always the case. So we do run an annual engagement survey. It's, um, we work across our service lines and geographies to understand, you know, what our needs are and how we're going to make sure that each year we, we're responding to those needs of the organization and we're continuing to evolve and, and keep it as a relevant sort of business tool. Um, and then that includes sort of global question sets, global data set, and we really do try and manage as much as we can centrally. But, you know, one of the biggest things that we have been able to do, which was when we rolled out our new strategy um, in 2013, was to really look at how our engagement survey could support um, that strategy. And so there was a, a group of us who spent, you know, a huge number of hours on the phone together working over a couple of months, really looking at our, our engagement survey and looking at the strategy, identifying where do we have, um, where are we already measuring things that the strategy, um, you know, is, is sort of articulating, shall we say, um, and where do we have needs that we need to change or we obviously need to bring in um, new items. And, Ultimately, what that meant for us was, you know, and I'd say that's one of the most important things that, that we have done, certainly in my time on the project, because not only did it mean that the survey was really relevant in terms of the broad range of things that we were measuring, we also took the view that this shouldn't be a talent survey, but this needs to be a whole of business survey as well. And so, you know, every function and every business leader will have some vested interest in terms of what the survey can tell them about their part of the business or the way sort of our people feel about, you know, certain different experiences that they're having. And so not just from a relevance point of view, but also from a credibility point of view, that was something that has been really, really important. And, you know, of course, we have a consistent question set of, you know, around 60 questions, probably a little bit too big, but we do struggle to, to get it any smaller than that. Um, but, you know, when that goes down to team level, um, then that's where they can really look at their own results in the context of those questions. And that's where it becomes much more individual in terms of, okay, well, where are the bits that we need to focus? What are the, my people telling me about what's working and what's not working well? And then, of course, how you ultimately enable that within different markets and cultures is also going to be different, you know, in terms of how you drive, say, two-way communication in Japan versus in America. You know, that's really where that sort of local empowerment comes for, for local teams and leaders to be able to make sure that not just that they're working on the things that are right for them, but they're able to, um, you know, support them in the right way as well. Mm -hmm. So you talked before about how important uh, the, the people side of things is for EY, and obviously you've talked about the purpose and, and the employee value proposition, which I love. I've written it down. <laughs> um, Good. So, <laughs> Good. Yeah, I like I, it too. I, I, yeah, I know you're keen to continue to make the case for the impact that focusing 
on people has on business success. How, how are you doing that and how do you do that? And I guess some of the survey stuff at, at the local level can really help with us as well. But, you know, how, how do you get the business and individuals, you know, leaders within the business to understand that importance? Because that's what is missing in so many organisations. HR people sort of espouse it, yeah. but it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always land, does it, with, with the leaders? No, and, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'd say that we've come a long way. Um, but certainly um, for, I think we did our first, what we call our, our talent impact research back in 2011. And, you know, I guess the state of engagement or perhaps how widely regarded um, engagement was considered across the organization was probably a very different um, state to what it is today. I can certainly say that it was very different to what it is today. But, you know, still that question around, well, you know, engagement sounds really nice and obviously we want our people to have a good time, but, you know, we're also running a business, so why is this important? And so back in 2011, that first study that we did was really about making the case for engagement. Okay, so we know that engagement's important and we've seen that through other studies externally and, you know, it just makes sense that we want our people to feel good when they're here. Um, but for us, what was really important was to put that into EY terms and so, we looked at engagement and we looked at the entire um, set of survey results and we started to connect them to some of the business outcomes that we know are really important for the organization. And the way we did that was we looked at all of our teams who were what we call best in class on engagement. So that's those that are in the top 25% um, of their local market norms. Um, and then, you know, we compare them to those who are sort of average on engagement or perhaps below of average on engagement as well. And I'm simplifying this for the purpose of illustration at the moment. And mm -hmm. what we were able to clearly show in 2011 and again in 2013 and 2015 was that our teams who have the highest engagement had higher gross margin, which is one of our sort of key, key profit indicators. They had higher retention of their people. Obviously, you know, yes, we acknowledge that our EVP says people will come and go, but, you know, there are also sort of healthy levels of retention that we obviously want to try and achieve and address in, in certain pockets of the organization. And also um, subsequent to that sort of high engagement, they had much stronger revenue growth over the subsequent two years as well. So really not just that we were able to demonstrate that once in 2011 and say, look, this is really important for our people and also for our business. So, you know, it kind of is a bit of an aha moment, but we've found almost identical results across the the two studies that we've run since. And so, you know, there's a real sort of longitudinal pattern that this wasn't just a fluke, but actually this is something that we've been able to demonstrate, you know, across a six-year period in, in three different examples. And so, you know, that has been critical um, certainly to, to helping get that buy-in. And, you know, we're at a stage now where our engagement results are absolutely front and centre of our key business measures. You know, our CEO and our Vice Chair for Talent, you know, have a regular sort of, I'll say, calls with, with our regions on an annual or um, biannual basis. And, you know, when they look at the, the business results, engagement is sitting, you know, not just sort of alongside, but, you know, it is one of the, the key indicators of success and something that, you know, absolutely forms part of that discussion. And in many cases, what we hear is that it's actually our region managing partners who are bringing those results along and, you know, they're able to really understand and respond to the questions around what they're doing about it. And it's something that, you know, absolutely is taken really seriously and not something that we necessarily have to, you know, um, harass people to do anymore, shall we say. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's it's a, an indication, I think, of sophistication and sort of maturity around engagement surveys in organisations. We've had some others um, that, that we've had discussions with where, you know, once they've moved from using generic correlation between engagement and business metrics and actually have been able to identify their own results against that, you know, how much more powerful that is when having those discussions. So much, so much more powerful. I mean, um, you know, and not even that, but we run that study at a global level where we, we look at the organization, you know, we look at about 350 groups across the organization um, to be able to get to those sort of common trends. You know, even still we get from different leaders uh, in different parts of the organization saying, okay, that's great, that's the trend you see globally, but we're a little bit different. What does that mean in my part of the business or my geography? And, you know, it, it's an ongoing challenge because obviously you can't replicate a study, you know, 300 times to be able to get there. And, you know, the power of doing this at a global level is the robust data set that we have, you know, and the extremely reliable results come out of that as soon as you kind of get down to more granular levels you know, the results can be much more sort of spurious and, and a little less reliable. But, you know, that is absolutely an ongoing challenge for us where people are sort of constantly saying, well, what does this mean for me? But rather than sort of replicate this study at a local level, we just continue to say, right, what are the questions that are on the businesses, on, on, on our business leaders and that our business needs to address at the moment? What's new over the last couple of years that we want to test out and see the relationship that engagement has or the predictive relationship that engagement has, you know, to these new organizational metrics or, you know, our organizational structure. How is that changing things and how, how different and how much more successful can we be when we get that right in terms of the experience of our people versus, you know, where we perhaps, you know, need to have a little bit of work as well. So, you know, our role around doing this is not to sort of say, look, we've made the case for engagement, let's take a step back. It's really about, right, we've got that case for engagement. How do we create more unique insights here and really help provide, you know, the organization with some direction around, actually, if we do more of this, then that's going to have a positive impact on, you know, this really significant priority or, or outcome, you know, that we as an organization are really trying to drive. So that's where we're at at the moment. We're planning for our 2017 um, talent impact research, and we'll kick that off very soon. But, you know, we've spent the last couple of months just talking to a wide range of stakeholders right across the organization and trying to understand, you know, what their priorities are, what data they have available, and ultimately trying to bring all that together and work out how we're able to, um, to integrate that. So, again, I think it's about making sure that in talent we're not just kind of focused on what we do in HR, but really trying to, to broaden that and make that connection more widely across the organization and make sure that, you know, we're connected and that we're absolutely as relevant as possible as well. Mm. Mm, lovely. So we're just going into the last um, sort of uh, I don't know, six or seven minutes of, of the show. I'm really interested in finding out a bit more from a sort of practical point of view of what happens when people join you, because obviously your EVP is about exceptional EY experience lasting a lifetime. Um, you know, yeah. what what do you do <laughs> that, that enables that to happen? Yeah. that makes you different from other people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really good question. So another part of my role is um, looking at, at onboarding at a global level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the number of people that we have brought in, as I say, you know, has been 80,000 in the last couple of years. Now, not all of those people are coming into permanent positions. We have sort of a high campus population of interns and graduates, but, you know, irrespective of that, that's their first experience with EY, really. So, 
we, you know, identified a couple of years ago that, well, I think we knew that there were some opportunities, but we were really able to um, identify the, the level of variability and the level of experience that we were, we were providing to our new hires who we were doing it really, really well in some locations and markets and, you know, others just didn't quite have that level of maturity. So that's been a huge focus for us over the last couple of years. Um, just this year, we've introduced uh, the Success Factors platform and onboarding um, was the first module of that um, to be kicked off. And so, you know, technology is obviously not going to onboard people alone, but, you know, helping to automate and provide that foundation and direct access for people, you know, is ultimately going to cut out a lot of the operational and admin work so that the people that are in their support networks can can really focus on the more value-add activities and helping them to build relationships and really navigate their way through EY. But, you know, what we, again, looking at our, our people survey data, um, we were really able to identify that, you know, we thought that there was kind of a 12-month honeymoon period. You join EY, you're happy across the first 12 months or certainly much happier than the rest of the organization, which is, which is quite typical. But actually, when we dug deeper into that, we started to add some data into the, um, into the survey that helped us see where within that first 12 months people were. We chunked it up into three-month intervals. And actually, we found that after the first three months, there was already a dip in engagement across our new hires. And so, you know, looking at that, we thought, well, you know, that's only then sort of feeding into that sort of first year um, uh, sort of decline that, that we typically see. And so we started to look, you know, across the board at, at, our, um, at our onboarding. And a few things that we decided as a result of that was, well, you know, onboarding is certainly not something that ends after one week, one month, or even three months. Clearly, you know, we really need to shift our mindset and make sure that we can provide people with a great experience right across their first year. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be sort of holding their hand as closely on day one as day 365, but it's really making sure that we, we sort of, we acknowledge that people will go through a range of first experiences experiences across their first year, whether it's a first pay review, performance review, client engagement, whatever that might be. And we need to understand that they're still going to need support across all of those first. So making sure that they have a robust network around them who have the right support is critical to that. And one of the other things that we did was, you know, we know that um, depending on where you are in the world, uh, you'll have potentially a very long and lag between the time you accept your offer and when you walk in on day one and people are finishing jobs, maybe going on holidays, all sorts of things there. But you know, that's a real opportunity for us to connect and start building engagement from the very beginning as well. So you know, we say onboarding starts at the time that someone accepts an offer and we really need to make sure that we can connect and you know, engage those people um, right from the very beginning. And you know, when they walk through the door, they should already have a sense of awareness and preparation and familiarity with EY. Um, that really helps them sort of excel right from that very first day. So, look, we are on a journey with onboarding. There's still, you know, quite a bit of work to do, but, you know, certainly we've made some great progress to help um, drive some consistency, at least in the standard, but, you know, ultimately we know each new hire is going to have different needs around what a good onboarding experience will look like for them, what they need. Um, but, you know, that's really up to the people that they're working closely with to make sure that they're able to identify and support those. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Have you got a, a last tip or idea to share with the audience? Some really useful stuff that's come out from this, really interesting to talk, but particularly around you being such a, a large and uh, diverse organisation, but managing to you know, seemingly draw everything together 
in a you know consistent way. And you're going to tell me it doesn't always work like that, but it does sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I'm, give, I'm giving you the um, yeah the, the positive spin version. No, look, I mean absolutely, it, it's not without its challenges, and um, but ultimately the outcomes that we're able to drive, um, you know, is, is absolutely worth it, and and you know really much more positive than than doing it 150 different ways through 150 sort of um, different people. But, you know, I think for us, I made a decision to to really become um, globally integrated. And so we have the sponsorship of our leaders around that as well. And, and again, it's, it's not without its challenges. I'm sure that um, sometimes, you know, countries will want to do things a certain way. And sometimes that will absolutely, you know, be valid. And it's not for us to police that necessarily, um, but really to see where we can provide the most opportunity to drive that efficiency, you know, and consistency and, and support as well. As I say, a lot of our markets are in, in different places on that. But, you know, I, I would just kind of leave you, I suppose, that we've had great success with our annual engagement survey and our focus is really now on sort of building around that um, with a more sort of holistic and, and agile approach to um, the listening to our people and, and learning about their experience and what we can do. So looking at right from the start, from recruitment and onboarding through to when people leave the organization and everything that happens in between, really making sure that we can give people, just like they do in their private lives as a consumer or you know that sort of experience, making sure that we can um, really give our people the opportunity to tell us how they're doing you know, at different stages um, of their experience at EY as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a really interesting conversation that, as usual, has flown by, <laughs> but one that I've quite yeah. like again, I think. <laughs> it really has, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, no, thanks very much, Thank Joe. I really appreciate you um, reaching out and, uh, and connecting. So it's been great talking to you. Lovely, thank you. So just to let you know that next week, Jo Moffat will be back and she will be speaking with Emma James, who's Group Employee Engagement Manager at Merlin Entertainments, and they're talking about how they're embedding a culture of fun across their global organisation of 27,000 employees. So a little bit smaller, but uh, still a large company. (laughs) So uh, we'll catch you next time. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.